welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Well, what's going on, Kingdom Culture? It's so good to be with you guys this morning. Um, listen, if you're tuning in and teaming up with us this morning, you don't happen to know who I am. My name is Caleb, so allow me to formally introduce myself. My, uh, I, I happen to be great friends with your pastor, Sean and Michelle. And if you don't already know who I am, well, I'm not sure if I should be offended or not, because the truth is I'm your long lost uncle. I'm extended fam. And um, the truth is that Sean and Michelle just asked me to step in here this week and to bring a word to you guys. And I really believe I have a now word. It's not just going to be a word out of the timeless written word of God, but I really believe it is a timely word, not only for you, but for the church at large here in Canada and beyond. And no doubt that this COVID season has been a crazy year. And, um, and so I'm just believing that this, this word is going to be a timely one that's going to find you wherever you are and really encourage and inspire some people. At any rate, i got to say what an honor and a privilege it is to be with you guys this morning. I don't take it for granted that they've, you know, your pastors have opened up your platform to me to bring the word. And so I, I feel that entrustment and I, I definitely feel the pressure. Come on, somebody. But the truth is, I just love your pastors. How many of you guys know you've been blessed with some of the best people on the planet, integrity-filled, just good people who who love God and love people and are doing their very best to see the kingdom of God established here in Ottawa. So we're grateful for them. Make sure you shut them down and show them some love on the chat. But listen, this morning I want to bring a word of encouragement to some people. And I'm going to title this message, Are You Ready for the Rain? No doubt it's a bit of a, uh, you know, a question here this morning that I believe that God has posed in the church, but I believe that God is simply asking you, are you ready for the rain? And I don't mean like rain as in like the weather patterns and the elements that fall from the sky. I'm talking about, are you ready to rain in life? The Bible, you know, in Romans 5, 17, it actually records saying that, you know, those who receive the abundance of, of God's grace and the gift of his righteousness, it says that they shall reign in life. They shall reign, and judicially, they shall reign. They shall reign as kings and queens in the kingdom. You know, in this season, I believe that God is calling some kings and queens, his royal priesthood, to take their stand and to take their place in the kingdom of God. I believe that there have been many people who've grown missing in action over this year because no doubt as we've been distanced and socially distanced, I think that some have also grown relationally distant. And so I believe that God is calling his people back and, you know, I just can't help but believe that for you, Kingdom Culture, God has got an incredible season. You're on the cusp of something incredible. And I know that you're just gearing up to get ready and to get back into live services again. And guys, gear up. It's going to be so much fun. And I know that so many of you might be trying to, behind the scenes, psych yourself up and get ready for what you know is going to be a whirlwind and a little bit of a, a greater demand on your life. But I want to encourage some people here today that what God has got for you on the other side of this COVID season is tremendous. I believe that God is going to be the great restorer to peace and joy in the house. And I pray that you'd never lose that trademark. I pray that joy would fill each and every one of you. And, um, and here's the thing. I believe that what God's called this church to do is something incredible and something of grave uh, and great, sorry, influence. And so... Yeah, I believe that I just want to encourage some people here to, to grab a hold of all that and not tap out before God comes through. It's always hardest right before the break. Of, you know, uh, what is it? It's like it's, like it's always darkest uh, uh, right until the, the break of dawn. And so I just want to encourage somebody here to, to hold the line. You know, anyone that has ever aspired to do anything great with their lives have always had to come. They eventually get, find themselves navigating a place where they have to overcome and push through the urge to quit. And that's because anyone who's ever set out to win, which is something I've, uh, you know, just intuitively know about all of you, that there's no one here that has got up this morning and thought, man, how can I fail and train wreck my life? You know what I'm saying? And it's like one thing I know about each and every one of you here this morning tuning in and teaming up is that you want to hit the mark with what it is that God's entrusted you with. You want to win in life. And if there's one thing I know about anybody who's ever tried to do that is when you set out to win in life, there's always a time where you're going to have to navigate a season of trouble or trial along the way. 
And the truth is, it's only a matter of time before we will all eventually come to a point where we will, we will reach our resolve and have the, our resolves tested. And you know, the reality is it won't matter how strong you are or tough you are, intelligent, resourceful, or talented you are. Sooner or later, we will all run into something for which we have not yet been rated. We will come across a season for, for where we will, we will meet our match, if you will. And we will have our resolves tested. And it's in these seasons and these moments where we're confronted with our commitments that we're often going to be challenged to see our callings through. And we, we will we'll ask ourselves, man, do I have what it takes? Can I do it? And the reality is we'll want and we'll intuitively feel this need that we will want to run from our callings or maybe you'll want to run from your responsibilities. No doubt responsibilities happen to be a fact of life, right? It's just sometimes those responsibilities can add demands in our life that can sometimes overwhelm even the best of us. So in this message, I want to take some time this morning with the time we have together. And I really feel like I want to encourage some people that are here this morning to, to stay where you are, stay the course, and learn to stop running from your responsibilities when things get tough or maybe they've been hard, and to stay in your purpose. Come on, somebody, turn to your neighbor and slap them and say, stay in your purpose and start living with godly confidence. In order to do this and to, and to bring this encouragement, I want to invite you to turn open your Bibles and crack them open to 2 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to go to verse 33. Now this verse happens to be the very last verse of chapter 18. And so we're going to carry on into chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. And I believe in this scripture, it's going to really minister to some people. In this scripture in particular, I want to invite your attention to the life of King David. Now we're going to pick up in the life of King David. And for those of you who learned about King David in Sunday school, you might be surprised at this reading to discover that King David finds himself in a real dark night of the soul. He kind of finds himself shook, the Bible says, to his core. Verse 33 of chapter 18 tells us that David receives word that some terrible things have gone down and that he's lost some loved ones in his life. And it says he is deeply shaken. You know, the truth is, this might surprise some of you. You may have heard about David growing up. He's the great giant slayer. He's the man of war. He's the guy who rips his enemies apart and drives back the, you know, the, the enemies of Israel. And so maybe for you, you're thinking to yourself, man, are you sure, Caleb, same guy? But I think this only underscores for all of us that even the strong struggle at times and that life eventually comes for us all. You see, a lot has happened between 1 Samuel 19 and David's life where he has, it's recorded that David came onto the scene and took down Goliath. And now 2 Samuel 19 where we find himself and we find David shook to the core. You know, the, if you've ever lived long at all, I suppose this only serves to, to underscore a point here this morning is that you'll, you'll know that all of your youthful idealism will eventually give way to the harsh realities of life. Just give it time. Because I know when we were all teenagers, you know, when you were a teenager, you think you know everything. But then you get to put into practice everything you've learned along the way and you realize, man, shoot, doing this stuff is, is not as easy as I thought it was. It's like life has a way of humbling you. Life has a way of silencing the boastful and shutting your mouth, right? Because you were once critical of your parents until, well, you eventually became a parent. I'm sure you were once critical of your boss until you became a boss yourself. I'm sure that many people here have become critical of leaders in this season until maybe you put your hand up and you became a leader yourself. You realize, oh shoot, interesting. Because you see, I've discovered that life has a way of dealing with you. I've often said to people who are, you know, maybe they have someone grading them. And I always say, don't worry about it. If the Lord doesn't deal with them, just let life do it. It does a fine job. You know, life will make you hold your peace. And here we find in this scripture, life has caught up with David and he is shaken by the events that have taken place in his life. The Bible tells us that Absalom, David's son, had actually attempted to overturn his own father as king. Man, tough. Over the course of a four-year period, the Bible records Absalom, he, it says that he managed to seditiously undermine and steal the hearts of many of the men of Israel, which in turn forced David and those loyal to David to actually have to go to war with those of David's own household. To have to go to war with those of David's own household. Now that's a painful thing. If anybody's tuning in here today, you gotta recognize that's a painful thing. That's a hard day because it sucks to have to go to war with those whom, whom you love. Oh, come on, somebody. Don't look at me like that on the other side of the screens. I know there's somebody in here. After all that life has had to throw at you in this season, you come home only to discover that the battle has, has arrived at your front door. It's divided family members and you're infighting and you come home only to have those whom you love betray you. To have those that you thought would stand with you in this storm in turn stand against you. 
Those that you thought would defend your character in this season only defame it. Those you thought would support you, supplant you. Oh, come on, somebody. You all know what it's like. It's like somebody in here knows what it's like to have an enemy turn up in the most unexpected of places, to have to fight those in your own house. Here, David has had to go to war with those with whom he loved. And the scripture tells us that David is distraught. David is shook because the reality is, is why will we, why will we learn in the scripture that his men who went to war and went to war with those in this great rebellion. It says that they ended up securing David's throne once again. They ended up eliminating the threat to David's throne and they secured the victory that day. It says they returned home from war expecting a hero's welcome only to be met with a distraught king. Because you see, while David had secured the victory, while his men had won the war, it says that David had learned that his son and well, 20,000 of his men that once served with him, some of whom were his once his trusted advisors, some of whom were those he broke bread with at one point, they had all fallen to the battle and fallen in the battle as a result. The Bible records in verse 33 that David was shook, that this knocked him off his, his chair in the gate. Now, a gate historically in that part of the world, it needs to be understood some context here for sake of the message. A gate historically in that part of the world represented a place of great significance. David was seated, seated in the gate because that's exactly where he was supposed to be. It was a place where kings gave decrees to the people. The gates were, were where armies were commanded for war. The gates were important governmental and societal business took place in these places. As a matter of fact, the Bible records several things happening in the gates if you want to do a word search. One of which was where Boaz took Ruth to be his wife. And there are plenty other examples. In other words, a gate or gates was not just a passageway through a defensive wall surrounding the city like many of you might assume in this morning. It was typically a massive and often complex structure consisting of an outer gate and an inner gate. And in between, like the outer gate was the first line of defense, and the inner gate, the second line of defense. With a space in between it, it was a space between those two gates that sometimes just a corridor with a recessed guard rooms. You kind of see like, you know, your RCMP officers with their Mountie police hat, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes a, a more spacious courtyard, the Bible calls that place in the gates. And, and much life took place within these gates. And so we learn that when David was in the gates, the place he was expected to be, this is where he received word that his son and many of his friends with whom he once served had been killed on the battlefield. And the Bible tells us that when he learned of it, he says he stood up from his chair in the gates and he ran up to his chamber over the gate and he wept there. And as he went, he says, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if, if only I had died in your place. Oh, my, my son Absalom, my son, my son. The reality is you can feel for David. Anyone who's got a heart in their chest can feel for David. He's just learned that his son with whom he loved has needlessly, in so many ways, senselessly been killed in a battle and in a rebellion against his father. I mean, I'm sure you could appreciate it. And for David... He was feeling like, man, things just, it didn't need to go down like this. You know, as I look over the COVID season, I would love just to take a minute on this for a moment. Because can I talk to some people in the proverbial room here this morning, in our online room here this morning, who may have lost some stuff this year? Because I can appreciate that all of us have had to fight our fair share of battles this year. And many of those battles, I'm sure, you likely didn't choose, nor did you go looking for them. I'm sure that many of the battles that have taken place and occurred in your life this year are battles that you wish you could have avoided or wish didn't happen at all. Nevertheless, here we are on the other side of some of those battles. Here we are on the other side of some of those things. Here we are in the middle of those things. And maybe for you, you feel a little overwhelmed by some of those battles. Maybe you've even been hardened by the reality that some of those battles have claimed some real meaningful things in your lives. Because if there's one thing I've learned about the battlefield, if there's one thing I've learned about war, is that there are always casualties of war. And maybe there were some things in your life in this season that the, the battle claimed. Maybe there were some things in your, this season that have, that have gone and become killed in action. Maybe you lost a family member in this season. I know that we've buried some people due to COVID. Maybe COVID has claimed the life of a loved one in your life, or maybe COVID has claimed the life of a loved one in your life in an altogether political sense. You know, maybe you're not talking anymore and you guys aren't in a relationship anymore because of the vax, unvax, or the, the hard right and hard left, you know, political games that are going on these days. 
You know, I've often told people that sometimes the most painful things you can ever experience in life or in ministry in this case or in a leadership position is having to mourn over the loss of a life of someone that's still alive. Oh, come on, somebody. So maybe you've lost some things in this season. Maybe you lost some family members. Maybe you lost some friends or, or maybe you've lost a job and now you're out a lot of money. Maybe you've lost some strength in this season or some courage or maybe you've had it or you've lost your confidence. No doubt, well, the, all the social media kind of outrage culture has taken place. Lots of people have found themselves just, just completely criticized from stem to stern and maybe you found you've lost your confidence in this season and no longer feel like you have what it takes to lead. Maybe you've lost some peace or maybe you're reeling over the loss of your personal freedoms here this morning. Or maybe, just maybe, you're finding yourself tuning in this morning, finding that you've lost the willpower to just keep going into sowing into that which you love and means the most to you. I know, you see, see, I get it, church. You know, we've all lost some stuff. I mean, you've lost some stuff in this season. I've lost some stuff in this season. And here we find that David has lost something in his life in this season of his life. Come on, let's keep reading. Chapter 19, verse one says, so that Joab, David's general, who was out leading his men in war, Joab was often his chief general, one of his, his chief mighty men, someone he'd actually given the role of kind of like the boss to, and he would often be found going and orchestrating his men in battles of war. And it says that Joab gets back from the battlefield and he discovers uh, on account of his men telling him that, hey, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. He's weeping up on the wall. And for the whole army that day, it says that the victory was turned into mourning. Did you catch that? The king is weeping on the wall for Absalom. And for the whole army that day, the victory was turned to mourning. You know, I find that incredibly interesting, don't you? That David has secured his throne once again. Here his men had won the victory. They're expecting to come home to the sound of laughing and dancing and women outside the gates with their timbrels and their tambourines and clanking their pots and pans upon their victory. Come on, the king of Israel can resume his duties. The king of Israel can go and reclaim his throne. And yet what they find is that when they come home, they're not met with the welcome in which they were, they were expecting. Here we find David has managed to turn a moment of great victory into a day of morning. Come on, they all come back and like, we're back. Man, you back. We back. Hey, come on, kingdom culture. If you haven't noticed, we're back. You're getting ready. You're back. But maybe there's going to be some people in the room who don't feel like, man, I know we're back, but the truth is I'm having a hard time celebrating. I'm just not in the spirit at the moment because the truth is, as I look across my life and I look back over this last season, well, we won. We made it. We survived. We're still here. Maybe you find yourself looking across your season and going, man, but I, I lost a lot of stuff. Man, where's so-and-so and, and where's so-and-so and, and where's so-and-so now? And, and where are you at, man? Are you, you're here, but are, are you here? Here we find David. He won the victory that day, but it was turned to mourning. You know, I think we got to cut David some slack as well because the truth is, as you look across David's life, it's like he's just a guy. No doubt he's a type of the Christ that is to come who would one day actually go to a cross. And it's, the Bible tells us in John, he says, and for our sakes, consecrate himself for our sakes. So in other words, he was able to keep serving us even despite the fact that he had nails driven through his hands. He was sitting in his worst day ever. And he was in this moment in excruciating pain, but still able to look at his, his mom and go, mom, this is your son. And to John, now this is your, your mom. It's like, it's like, look at this. He's still caring for the needs of people even when he's going. But you know, David, he was just a guy. And the reality is maybe we should cut him some slack here today to realize, man, he was going through some stuff and that he just didn't have the capacity that Jesus had to continue to prefer others above himself. Now, for the record, I want to point this out because, you know, God is the kind of God who does not take our victories and turn them into day of mornings. Our God is a God who takes our day of mourning and he turns them into victory. We serve a God who bestows on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. But here, David, you see, we find David in his humanity in this moment playing right into the hands of our enemy who would love nothing more than to turn David's day of success into sorrow, who would love nothing more than to turn your day of gladness into sadness. The whole army is experiencing a day of, a time of mourning when they ought to be vic victorious and, and celebrating. And I find it interesting because the truth is, is that as I look at David, while we could look at him in a moment of judgment, I can't help but find that this moment is actually really relatable. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes you can be winning, but you don't always feel like a winner. Because sometimes you can actually be winning in life, but you don't feel like a winner. 
And that's because winning, I've discovered, can cost you something. There are times in life when you can come back with the spoils of war, but sometimes you can't enjoy the spoils that you have because of what it costs, what you lost along the way in order to get it. Oh, come on, somebody. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I got what I wanted. I love it. I got it. But you're having a hard time just savoring the success because, man, the truth is, it didn't come easy and you had to give up. And it, it, man, because of what it cost and what you lost along the way. You know, for David, I believe this victory that day was a bittersweet moment. I believe that he was conflicted on the inside of himself. And while he wanted to probably celebrate, he couldn't get over the fact of what he had lost. And so David, as we've learned in this scripture, he won the war, but you will always, even if you win the war church, sometimes you will always incur some damage along the way. And I think that's my point. This is what I'm trying to say, is that sometimes you can win the war, but you will always incur some damage along the way. Sure, you came out of the battle victorious, right? But you got some black eyes, some knocked out teeth. Come on, you got a broken leg. And like, and now you're hobbling home and everybody's like, woo, we won the victory. Woo, you won. And you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, we did. You see, it's not that you don't share that sentiment. It's just simply the fact that, well, I, I suppose it's to, to underscore the fact that sometimes winning doesn't always feel wonderful. I suppose it's to underscore the fact that, hey, sometimes you can be a winner, but you can still be wounded. Oh, did you hear what I said? See, you can experience what feels like failure even in a season of success. You can win a battle, but still feel like you're losing the war on the inside of you. You can win a victory, but not always feel victorious. And it's not that you're not winning the war. It's just that you've grown weathered by the war. It's not that you're not winning the war. It's just that maybe you've grown wounded in the war. And you see, like David, here David has lost so much in the course of the battle that he cannot celebrate the victory. He's lost complete sight of the celebration. He's lost so many friends and he's, he's lost his own son. And so we'll see how that affects. It says the troops had heard it and they said, the king is grieving for his son. And so the Bible tells us that the men, they crept into the city that day as men who creep into a city who are ashamed when they flee from the, the front lines of battle. I mean, ouch, here is David. His men are tiptoeing around him because they're not sure what to do. Their heads are hung in shame and a day of great victory where they've enabled him to reclaim his throne. I mean, guys, I don't know if you've noticed it. We back. It's like, why are you so sad? Or why are you so heavy hearted? Why are you so unsure about wanting to give yourself fully into this work? Well, the reality is, I think that we can learn a lot from, the, 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 from David. It's that, that magical moment, you know, it's like, or not even magical, it's more like that awkward moment. If you've ever, you know, walked into somebody's room when they were crying, you barged in, just thinking, hey man, you got that, whoa, sorry. And then Buddy, who was coming behind you, walks in, he's like, ah, and you're like, yo, dude, just crying. You know, and Buddy's looking in the mirror and he's looking at himself and he's thinking, oh man, I did my best, you know, I did my best. Because that's what we do when we cry. We always look at ourselves in the mirror and we cry out, man, I did my best. Is that what we do? Come on, somebody, you know it's true. But here, the men are, are creeping back into the city and they're kind of feeling ashamed. They're expecting, you would, you would assume David's men are expecting a hero's welcome. They're expecting to come back into the city and, and they're expecting to, you know, feel great and they're expecting to hear the sound of laughing and dancing, but there was no sound of singing and dancing. There was no women parading around the gate for their king, it says, cried aloud and cried out, oh, my son, Absalom, my Absalom, my son, my son. You see, the, the victory that day was, was turned into mourning he, he, because David became so engulfed in what he had lost. See, he was so focused on what he had lost that if he was not careful, he was about to lose everything he had left. Oh, come on, I said, David grew so engulfed in what he had lost that if he wasn't careful, he was about to lose everything that he had left. And so can I give a word of advice to somebody here today? Can I encourage you? Hey, don't make the mistake of growing so focused on what you've lost along the way that you fail to celebrate all that God's given you along the way. Oh, come on, somebody, don't be so focused on what you've lost along the way that you fail to celebrate all that God has given you along the way. Come on, you'll miss out on all the people who stayed in your life if you focus on all the people who have left. And gosh, who knows? Maybe just maybe God brought them out of your life and removed them from your life because he heard how they talked about you when you weren't there. <laughs> At any rate, my question's simple. Are you gonna weep over what you lost? Or are you gonna learn how to wield what you have left? Oh, come on, somebody. Are you going to weep over what you lost? Or are you going to learn how to wield what you have left? Because there's one thing I know about the God that I serve, that he can do a lot without my little. 
that God is a God who can take my, my two fish and my five loaves and multiply it. He's the God who can take a jawbone of a donkey and lay waste to the, the, the Lord's enemies. He's the guy who can take a little bit of oil and a, and a little bit of grain and he can take it and do far more. See, friend, never belittle what little you may have left because I came here to tell you what you have is what you need. Come on, somebody, slap somebody and tell them what you have is what you need. You've got everyone and everything that you need in order to fulfill what God has put in your heart. See, I hear my my pastor reverberating through my head right now. Pastor Brian Houston always said, he's like, hey, if you'll use what's in your hand, God will use it to fulfill what's in your heart. If you'll use just what's in your hand, God will use it to fulfill what's in your heart. And somebody here needs to hear the word of God this morning that that is exactly what he is saying to you. At any rate, Waiting for David's support were all of his troops. And the reason is for him to reclaim his throne and get back to where he belongs. But he's not quite there yet, you see, because David, he's like, he sees the victory, but he's like, he's just emotionally, guys, he's not present. He's not quite jiving with the moment. So he says he retreats from his chair, and it says that he resigns to his chambers. He retreats from his chair and he resigns from his chamber. I wonder if you guys could hook me up with a chair there in, in the studio here this morning. And um, you see that David was in his gate, you see, and it says, the Bible tells us very clearly that he, re he retreats from his chair and he resigns to his chambers. Now, he retreats from his chair, you see that? And now he re he resigns to his chambers. Because remember, he went up and he wept in the chamber above the gate. He came up above the gate. His men are all down here, but he comes up and he, he retreats from his chair and he resigns to his chamber. Now I want you to notice something. As he's up in his chamber and he's weeping over the losses that he's accrued in this season, you gotta understand that, you gotta notice something here, that David has now separated himself from the people that he's been called to serve. So I want you to notice something, that David has now separated himself from the people that he's been called to serve. He has separated himself from the people that he's been called to serve. You see, because he's now retreated from his chair and resigned to his chambers because he's running to his room, or should I call it, he's running to his escape room. Yeah, 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 I like that. He's running to his escape room. Because if there's one thing you see that I've learned in life is that sometimes it's the responsibilities. So sometimes the responsibilities across our lives can feel all too much for us to handle. And so what happens is we, we, like David, retreat from our chair and we run to our chambers. We, we retreat from our chairs and we run to our escape rooms in order to avoid the people and the places that God has called us to. And so we devise a way of escape. We look for a way out so we don't have to feel what we feel. And so we busy ourselves in order to avoid these things. And this is the nature of escapism. And avoidance, it's when you're hurting or it's when you're disappointed or when you're disillusioned, you're overwhelmed. It's when you're traumatized or exhausted and you're struggling to show up for the people that you love. It's when you walk away from what God has called you to because ultimately you just don't know if you've got the resolve needed to push through it. Come on, somebody, who am I talking to here today? And in this moment, as you walk away from it, people may judge you. They may want to label you certain something irresponsible or lazy as you, mom, send your kid to school and you didn't write quite pack them the right lunch. Maybe it was a little bit of a, you know, whatever was it, a little bit of a, uh, you know, a miss there today. Or maybe you didn't dress them just right. Or, or, or husbands, maybe you didn't turn up for your wife in the way you needed to or your spouse in the way you needed to. Maybe you didn't show up for your family, your parents. Maybe you didn't show up for your business, your work. We just all have these things where people may try to label you lazy in that moment, but really you're not lazy, are you? You're really just running away because deep down inside of you, you're asking you yourself if you've actually got what it takes. It's the, it's the nature of escapism. It's the habit of showing up in body, but not turning up in mind or spirit. Come on. Some of you wives out there know exactly what I'm talking about because you know when your husbands come home, there's a big difference between coming home and, and being home, right? Because fellas, sometimes you can, you can shut the work down at, at your desk at work, but all really we do is just change our work environment at, at times if we're not careful. We may have been working at our desk only to bring it home to our dining room table and to keep the phone on and to keep responding to things while we're in the presence of our kids and our family there at the dining room table. Come on, my wife loves to say it like this. Hey, Caleb, when are you coming home? Come on, hey, when are you coming home? There's a big difference between coming home and being home. Are you burying yourself in something to distract yourself? Come on, some of you know uh, what it's like to become a parent 
and there's a big difference between becoming a parent and being a parent. A big difference between becoming a parent and being a mom. Becoming a parent and being a dad to somebody in your life. Or what about you young people out there? There's a big difference between hanging out. Hey guys, let's get together. Okay, sweet, let's go hang out. There's a big difference between hanging out and being together. Yeah, hanging out and being together. Yeah, hanging out and being together. Sorry, what? Yeah, there's a big difference between hanging out and being together. And so sometimes I think, you see, the temptation is not necessarily to run away from our lives, but to simply avoid it and disengage from it. And see, when we start to disengage from our lives, just kind of go, oh, we find ourselves distracting ourselves. We procrastinate. Like for me, I know I should probably write that message. Sunday's coming. That's like a preacher's worst nightmare. It's like, oh man, Sunday's coming. No pressure. Maybe for you, it's, I know I should likely fill out that report. Or maybe as a student here today, I know I should likely get that assignment done. Or as a parent here today, I know I should likely engage with my children at some point today. But you know what? It's funny how we can distract ourselves. But I, I just noticed something. Oh, wait, I just got to, I just think come up. Man, my car is really dirty. I'm going to go, wait, you know what? I'm just going to take some time, a few minutes. I'm going to detail my car. By the time you, three hours later, you detail your car, you've managed to want to go grab a drink. And next thing you know, you're finding that one little cracker and spill of yogurt that slipped down the back of the fridge and you're cleaning it out. By the time it's done, this thing is spick and span. It's been magically, you know, Mr. Cleaned all over the place. And then by the time you finally get to it, come on, somebody, you spent the entire day just running from and avoiding the places and the people that you know you've been called to. We run to the mudroom, right? We bust out the cleaning supplies because what is that? That's our way of busying ourselves, distracting ourselves. It's our escape room. Or we run to the mall and we shop till we drop because truthfully, I just really want to avoid those things and those 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 people in my life right now, and so it's my escape room. We run to our basements and we play video games for hours upon hours, days upon days. We spend way too much time doing it, distracted from those we love because, hey, that's our escape room. Come on, moms, we run to the bathroom because it's our only escape room, right? That's your only escape room. And, and if there were a soundtrack for this moment, because you all know what it's like, moms, to be in the bathroom, and then you've got that creepy moment where all the fingers start coming under the door, mom, mom, and they're putting their fingers under the door. If there were a soundtrack with a weird violin thing going on there, you'd swear you're in the zombie apocalypse, right, taken out of an episode of The Walking Dead. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about. But our escape room, you see, we run and we stay in our pajamas and, and stay in our chambers. We resign to our chambers quite literally. And we use COVID even as a guise to do so in this season. Come on, it's the ultimate Trump cult card. But what is it really for some of us? It's our escape room. It allows me to justify and excuse myself to run from my responsibilities, to run from the call of God across my life, to keep a justified and a reasonable reason for why not. And so we say to ourselves, I'm just going to stay up here in my office, you know. I'm just going to stay up here and avoid all the people on the floor. I'm just going to take the, the things at work and take on the tasks at work that enable me to go through but avoid having to interact with anybody. You see, the reality is we can spend our whole lives avoiding what it is we know we're responsible for because sometimes, you see, it's the demands and responsibilities across our lives that put us, all, it just can feel all too much for us. You know, David, I'm convinced, wasn't necessarily running from his reign. He wasn't running from his calling or, or as king as much as he was res- running from his responsibilities ex- as king. You know what I'm convinced of is that David still was like, no, I'm still king. I'm still king. But I really don't want to play king today. I'm still mom. I would just, man, another 20 minutes. By my, I, would just, I really don't want to play mom today. You know, I'm still dad, but I've had a crazy day at work and the demands and my boss has been riding me. And I know that as soon as I walk into that, you know, house, the responsibility of having to get down on the ground and roll around with my kids, you know, I just, I, I just I'd much rather put my feet up and watch the game. I'm still dad. I just, I'd rather not play dad today. You know, the truth is maybe you know what it's like to retreat from your chair and resign to your chambers to retreat from your chair and to resign to your chambers because David was running. You see, David was running from his responsibilities. He was ultimately running from his reign as king. And he knew he wasn't, he, he knew he wasn't where he was supposed to be, but David simply, he was running from his responsibilities. He was running from his reign and so started running from his room where he found and discovered an escape room. Friend, I have a question for you here today. For those of you tuning in, what are you running from? Are you running 
from your reign. Because you see, I'm convinced that we got some kings and we got some queens in the kingdom that have gone missing in action this year. Did you hear what I said? I said, I, I believe that as I look across the body of Christ, we've got some kings and we've got some kings and queens that have grown uh, in the kingdom that have grown missing this year. You know, I feel like the great worship leader in order and prophet to the nations, Justin Bieber, is a perfect moment right now. He says, you know, where are you now that I need you? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Where are you now that I need you? For, for, you know, dads, I feel like we got some dads out there that have been missing in action this year. Your kids need you, man. I get it. Your dad wasn't present in your life. You're, you had a, a horrible upbringing. You didn't have a great example, but that doesn't mean that this can't be a reversal of the tides here, that you can't show up and start being there for your kids. Maybe we got some moms up in here who have struggled to be there and to turn up for the people that matter in their life. I know, because I get it. Moms, your kids have been nattering at you and picking at you all every second of every hour of every day, and you're thinking, I just need a minute. But you still got some mouths to feed. You know, young people, are you showing up for the people in your life? Can you put your phone down long enough to realize those who've gone missing in action this year? Hey, we've got some believers up in the house. And you know what? It's incredible to me that we got Jesus followers who are not showing up for their church community in an hour and a time like this because, well, hey, we all got stuff going on, but maybe you've grown missing in action this year, friend. Your church needs you. Your friends need you. Your spouse needs you. Your kids need you. Come on, somebody. What are you running from? I wonder, are you running from your reign. You know, in verse five, it says that Joab gets wind of what was going on. So David's general, he has the guts to go into the king's chamber and give the king a bit of a kick in the pants. It says that Joab enters into the king's chambers above the gate and he confronts the king and tells him what he needs to hear. Come on, somebody up in here needs to thank God for the people in your life who don't just tell you what you want to hear, but actually tell you what you need to hear for the people in your life who give you the real answer and not just the right answer. Thank God for those who, like Joab, break into your chambers in life. Or can I even go as far as to say this? Who break into your echo chambers. Oh, come on, somebody. And, and, and tell you not just more regurgitated stuff that you hear yourself saying inside your chambers as you weep and what have you, but the people who tell it to you straight. Come on, somebody scream at your name and say, tell it to me straight. Tell it to me straight because the truth is, unless you tell me the truth, you're not really my friend, are you? And so God uses Joab to give David a bit of a swift kick upside the head, if you will. Because as I've learned, sometimes a kick in the butt is actually better than a kiss in the cheek. And so the Bible tells us that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You see, Joab drops up into David's life and he, he quite literally gives him a kick in the butt. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and not the, the kisses of an enemy. He didn't sit there and go, you know what? No, David, you're just amazing. Oh, how are you feeling? Cry on my shoulder and, uh, and let me tell you what you need to hear or want to hear and let me just regurgitate more and more of the same old stuff. No, Do Joab gets up and rocks up into David's life and he gets up in his face and let me just say, David, he gets a piece of Joab's mind. So Joab comes in, he says, today, David, you have humiliated all your men who have just, need I remind you, who have just saved your life, the lives of your sons, the lives of your daughters, the lives of your wives and your concubines. Why is it that it seems that you love those who hate you? And it seems that you hate those who love you. You love those, David, who hate you. And you hate those who love you. Why is it that you seem to be more committed, in other words, to those that you, that, that, that those that hate you than you are to those that love you? Why do you keep giving your time and energy to those that stand against you than you do to those that stand with you? You're so busy focusing on all your haters think that you've lost sight of what all your supporters think. You keep busying yourself trying to entertain an audience of people who have never been there for you all the while failing to turn up and to recognize the people who can, who've consistently turned up for you and been there for you in your life. Joab is in essence saying, David, why the heck are you hanging on the back door when God's called you to hang around the front door? Gosh, who am I preaching here to today? So Joab continues, says, so you've made it crystal clear here today, boss, that the commanders and their men, your commanders and your men, they mean nothing to you. I can see that you would be more pleased if Absalom had lived and is alive, were alive today than in, and that all of us were dead in his place. No, I swear to you, get out there and encourage your men. Get out of this chamber, in other words, and get back in your chair. Because I swear by the Lord God Almighty, if you do not, there will not be a man left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities that have come in you from your youth until now. David, 
you get out of that chamber and you get back in this chair. David, you get out of the chamber and you get back in this chair. You see, it could seem like Joab's being super harsh, that he's being, oh, you know, a little too hard on David in this moment. But you see, you're probably right. There's probably no way for a man to speak or to address a king, especially at that time. Maybe not so much today. You know, you watch the local debate and you realize, wow, all class and all tact has been thrown out the window. But you see, honor, it was a virtue that we used to have once upon a time. And people actually died on account of that honor. All right. And if they dishonored a king, man, it could be very bad for you. And in this case, we find that Joab is clearly addressing the king in a way that was not befitting for any man to speak to a king. So what's going on here? Why did he not lose his life? Well, you see, I don't know about you, but I like to kind of read into the story a bit. And forgive me, but I'm going to take license here for a moment because I can't help but realize that David and Joab both shared a lot of history together. These guys were brothers. They've been in the trenches together for years. And you see, the last time that that David and, and Joab failed to go to war was back in a little ways a, a while ago. And the AC, and I don't know if you remember this, but the last time that Joab let David stay back in his chambers. Y'all remember that? You see, the last time that Joab let David stay back in his chambers, David started enjoying warm baths with Bathsheba while his men fought and died on the front lines. David was more interested in staying on the balconies than he was in standing in the battlefields with his men. And we all know what took place there. David had gone and done some stupid stuff. And so here we find Joab kicking the door down and breaking into his chambers, breaking into your echo chambers, telling you what you need to hear, not just more recycled stuff of what you want to hear, saying, David, you best get out of this chamber right now and get back in your chair. And so the, Dave, the Bible tells us that David, it says, he stood up. And he got up. Come on, somebody. He, he got up because Joab said, get out of your chamber and get back in your chair. Yeah, that's right. Get out of your chamber and get back in your chair. Come on, slap three people and tell them, get out of your chamber and get back in your chair. Come on, get out of your chamber and get back in your chair. Get out of your chamber and get back in your chair. Because I don't know who this is for, but I came here for somebody here today who finds themselves far from God, distant from God, who's running away from the things that you know God has called you to do. I know that this COVID season may have knocked you off your chair, proverbially speaking here today. Maybe life came and blindsided you and hit you so hard that kind of left you kind of, you know, disillusioned a little bit and a little bit disoriented. And maybe you've tried to survive it by self-medicating and attempting to medicate yourself by getting into some things you didn't. I want you to hear the word of God here this morning that I believe that God is coming in hot with today. Come on, somebody, get out of your chambers. Hey, online, it's time to get out of your chambers. And I'm inviting you back to your chair. Back to your chair here this morning. Come on, who's this for? So verse 8 says, so King David got up and he took his seat in the gateway. So King David got up and he took his seat in his gateway. So King David got up and he took his seat in the gateway. Come on, I can't help but feel like there's somebody here today at the preaching of this word who's finding themselves, collect themselves, because there's something about a teaching of the word of God. It just brings faith. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I feel like somebody up in here is starting to get themselves fired up again. Somebody up in here is actually picking themselves up and trying to stand in the day of evil, because that's what our faith does. It enables us to stand in the day of evil, to use the shield of faith to put out the flaming darts of the enemy, and it causes us to get up once again. Come on, somebody, get out of your chamber and get back in your chair. I could just hear the words of God echoing through the scriptures over the ages where he addressed many men and women of God throughout the scriptures with the very same thing who tried to run from the rain, who tried to run from the responsibilities. I can hear God echoing through the scriptures right now. I can hear him addressing Elijah. Hey, Elijah, as you run from Elijah, you know, Jezebel after just defeating the false prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, 850 fall into the sword on account of one man and he's running from the deranged woman of one empty thread of a woman. Come on, somebody. He says, what are you doing here? Get back and go back the way you came. Get back out of this chamber and get back to your chair. Get out of this chamber and get back in your chair. You know, what about Jonah? Hey, Jonah, what are you doing here? You're running from your call. You're running from your responsibilities. You're running from the place you know that God has called you to. And so the men literally threw him overboard because he gave him an ultimatum and said, listen, the reason all this has befelled, has fallen upon you, the whole reason that all this calamity has come upon your life is because I'm in your boat. Come on, who do you got in your boat that's bringing it down? Who do you got in your life that's not serving you well? You need to throw them out and throw them overboard. And so it says that as he did, was, a whale or a great fish came up and swallowed him 
and it came and delivered him on the land. Because come on, come buddy, that was like God's way of saying, hey, Jonah, get out of the chamber and get back in your chair. What about Peter? What about Peter and John 21 when he's on the shores fishing again? He's returned back to his old life of fishing. He's given up fishing for men. And in that moment, he's so disillusioned. He's so hurt. And he's so kind of wounded from the war. And the, he's burnt from the battle. Jesus had gone and gum. And he's totally not understood the whole meaning of it all just yet. And Jesus in resurrected body turns up on the shores and says, Hey, did you catch anything? They're like, no. And he says, turn your nuts, cast your nuts on the other side. And they recognize that it's Jesus. And he gets to the shore and basically has a conversation and Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? Then get back in your chair and feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then get back in your chair and feed my lambs. Come on, somebody. You see, all of us at times can look to run to our escape rooms. But you need to simply hear the word of the Lord there this morning. Get out of your chamber and get back in your chair. There is a grace for your race. So come on here, church. Come on. It's time to, to take your seat. Come on, church. Take your seat. Come on. I know, I know that you're still hurting, right? But you need to take your seat. I know that the season is not going to be easy and that's hard, but you need to take your seat. I know that you're not quite healed yet from everything that's taken place, but you just simply need to take your seat. You need to stay seated in Christ in Jesus' name. And you need to take your seat. Because in this COVID season, not only do we have auditoriums, that have been littered with all these empty seats because of social distancing guidelines and what have you. But we've also, I've discovered, got all these other empty seats of people who simply walk in kingly anointing, who have run from the responsibilities because of the experiences in the battlefield this year. You know, it's one thing when we can't fill seats due to COVID guidelines, but it's altogether another thing to allow the seats that we can and should fill to go unoccupied because somebody has failed to take their seat. Come and scream at your neighbor and say, come on, take your seat, take your seat, take your seat. Come on, somebody say, grab a chair, grab a chair and take your seat. Now somebody scream with me and say it together, but say, excuse me, devil, but this seat is already taken. <laughs> I'm having fun. Studio preaching is always interesting when there's no live audience. But you see, you need to get out of your chamber and you need to get back in your chair. And so the king, it says in verse 8, got up and he took his seat in the gateway. So David got up and he took his seat. He grabbed his chair and he occupied it in the gateway. And as you know something, he may have felt super vulnerable in that moment, but he still made himself visible because he was their king after all. David wasn't going to run from his reign any longer. Sure, he wasn't healed yet, but he was here. Sure he, sure, he was still hurting, but he was here. Sure, you know, the journey ahead was going to be easy and it was hard, but you see, he was here. Because you see, as much as David may have taken his seat and was found sitting in his pain, I believe he determined that wasn't going to keep him from standing in his purpose. Oh, come on, somebody. I said, as much as David may have taken a seat and was found sitting in his pain, that wasn't going to keep him from standing in his purpose. All he had to do was get back into his chair, and when he sat down, the Bible tells us that all of his men came to him. You know, they, they all knew that David was far cry from a perfect king. They, keep in mind, they all knew what created this whole mess in the first place. I think deep down, they all knew that he was as human as they were. They knew he was working through some things too. Keep in mind, he just lost his son. They knew he was reeling over that loss. And you know something? I don't believe for a second they needed him to deny that reality in his life. Because you know, as I've raised a family, I've discovered something that my kids actually don't need me to be a perfect dad. They just need me to be a present one. And so you know what? The Bible tells us that David took his seat that day. And I'm convinced that that was actually Israel's greatest victory that day. Because I've discovered that the real victories in life the real battles in life is often just determined that no matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, I'm just going to keep showing up. Oh, come on. No, the real victory is when in life you can go through life and you just decide and determine within yourself that I'm just going to keep showing up. No matter what happens, no matter what life throws at me, no what, you know, the devil comes at me with, I'm going to keep turning up. I'm going to keep showing up. And I'm going to keep turning up. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep turning up because I've learned that leadership longevity belongs to those that simply just keep showing up. There's something different when you're present, when you're home. You know, I've had many team members come to me after a vacation time or when I've gone away on ministry trips. And they often will come up to me in many, several different times over the years. People have come up to me and said, you know, it's just so good to have you back, Pastor. It's just so good to have, you know, the dad of our house back. 
I don't. I know that we can hold it down in your in, in your absence. And don't. I, I don't want you to think that we can't hold it things down when you're not here. But the truth is, there's just something so comforting when you're here. You know, I've had my own kids intimate this same sentiment. And you know, in times when they're having bad dreams or when I'm just in the other room, they often say, Dad, I just, it's not that we don't want you to go to this thing or we don't want you to go there because we just want to know that you're there. All I need, they don't need me to sleep in their bed with them. They need me to come to them and sing a song with them. Sometimes they just need to know that I'm there. And I, I think that for some of us here today, some of us who've been leading, some of us who've been hard on ourselves, been running from our responsibilities, I think the greatest thing that we can realize here today is that God is not requiring you to be a perfect leader, but he's simply requiring you to be a present one. You know, I, something I find so encouraging is when I look through the pages of God's word and I realize, man, a whole lot of people that God called to go, go, hold a bunch of dumb stuff and God kept using them. Because I think that's the nature of God when he calls us. He factors in all of our stupid stuff before he ever called us and yet he still chooses us. Oh, come on something, somebody, that's the most comforting thing ever. Come on somebody. And, and I can't help but believe that here today, there are some people who have been called to reign, but you've, you've been hard on yourself. You're feeling guilty. You don't feel like you've turned up in the way you need to do. And... You've been struggling to turn up in the way you know you should. My question is, are you ready to reign? Are you ready to reign? The Bible tells us that those who receive the abundance of God's grace and the gift of his righteousness shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? It's those who receive the abundance of God's grace and the gift of his righteousness. Two things that we need to reign as kings and queens up in here is to realize that God's got an abundance of, uh, of grace. So moms, I get it. You don't always feel like you nail it. Sometimes you feel like you underdress your kids and you didn't totally prep them for that winter day or you didn't pack the right lunch or dads, you didn't show up to, the, to enough soccer games or, or dads, you didn't show up for your spouses and, and help in, in the way that you know you should have or, or you didn't turn up for your, your staff the way you needed to, boss. I don't know what it is for you, but sometimes you can look across your life and you can look at Pinterest and you can think, wow, what the heck? I'm failing at everything. Everybody else is better than me. You can look at someone's highlight reel on Instagram and think, oh man, I'm such a failure. I'm not good enough. I'm not uh, you know, good enough dad. I'm not a good enough leader. And friend, I want you to know something here today. There's an abundance of God's grace and there's a gift of righteousness. So that, that right standing with God that enables you to realize that I'm still right, even though I may have been wrong. I, I may have missed the mark, but you're still righteous in God's eyes. So how many of you guys know it's that gift of righteousness and the abundance of his grace that'll cause you to reign this year in life? Friend, I don't know if you've been running from your responsibilities, but friend, I came here today to encourage you with the word of God so you don't run from your responsibilities or implode under the weight of all that God has called you to, but I came here to help you to stay in your purpose, to start living with confidence because God is here today through Christ to empower you to reign. He's here pouring out his abundance of his grace and the gift of his righteousness through Christ to anyone and everyone that would call on his name here this morning. Friend, I don't care what it is that you've been through or what you've done. God declares you right with himself here today, so don't you avoid him one more second and don't you run away from what he's call you to do any longer. There is grace for your race. So come on here, somebody, and receive from the generous hand of, here, of God here this morning. And hey, somebody, get out of your chamber and get back in your chair. Get out of your chamber. Get back in your chair. There's grace for your race. Come on, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.